All right. You know, I'm up here, and there's everything inside of me that just doesn't want to start doing this, you know, so... It wasn't how I was going to enter this message or whatever, but I was gonna, it was going to be a little bit more sophisticated. I was going to quote uh, Harvard psychologist Robert Keegan, who once said, What the eyes see more deeply, the heart loves more tenderly. What the eyes see more deeply, the heart loves more tenderly. What Keegan was getting after was that when we see somebody deeply, when we really know them, our heart becomes more tender by them. To know them is to know them beyond just, you know, our first impressions of them. The, to know, you know, to go beyond our assumptions of them or the categories of them to really know them. To, to know that person's, you know, joys, their, their hopes, their dreams. Um, to know their, their fears and their insecurities. To know what makes that person tick. To know what makes that person unique? When we know somebody on that level, our heart begins to become more tender. We've been doing Night to Shine for about eight years. And let me tell you, the more I've gotten to know my friends with special needs more deeply, I just find that my heart is more tender and loves so much better. Friday night, you know, just spending some time. You saw Oscar. Oscar was one of the guys who was dancing down the, the red carpet. And before that, we were having a conversation. We were having a great time just talking to each other. And he said, Pastor, can you, can you pray for me? So I, I prayed for him. And to be able to get to know Oscar and, and to know what his fears are and, and to see his joy and get to know a little bit more window in his life of the person that God created, who he is, and to move beyond the categories that I may have of Oscar because he has special needs to really know him. And also the, the reciprocity that comes from that. Afterwards, at the end of the night, Oscar came and made a beeline to me and he said, Pastor, can I pray for you? The fact that he wanted to know me, and in knowing me, his heart was tender towards me. And, and just to be able to experience his prayer for me was just an incredible, incredible joy. Well, way before Keegan, God has been conveying to humanity the truth that when we see someone more deeply, our heart loves them more tenderly. And that's the reflection of our own God who sees every single one of us deeply. And in our brokenness, and even in our selfishness, and even our sins, and understanding even that junk in our lives and what it does to our lives, and he sees that in us and sees, sees the hurt and the insecurities and the fears and the hopes and the dreams, our God loves us tenderly. And so this series, the series is called Strangers Welcomed. But it's more than just having a conversation with somebody that you've never met before, and have a conversation around, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl. This series is really about taking the time, whether it's somebody you've never met before or somebody who lives in your own household, to really see them, to see them deeply, to know them. You know, we can live even amongst strangers, right? You can be married to somebody for a long time. We change, they change, and, and you know, they're distracted. They got things going on. We have things going on. And and slowly, we begin to not really know them, not really see them. Last week, Caleb gave the illustration of a woman that lived 3,000 years ago. Her name was Hagar. She lived in this household, but she wasn't part of this household. She was, she was just kind of a servant, a slave. And so people just kind of saw her in the peripheral. 
She was kind of, she was noticed, she was noticed by what she did or what she should be doing or what she could do for them. And there was some tumult in that relationship and she was treated uh, poorly, so badly that she ended up running away. And in her isolation, God met her right there. It was, it was as if it was the first time that somebody noticed this woman. The first time she ever felt that someone saw her deeply, not because of what she could do, do for them or the things that she does, but to know her. And in that moment, she felt the incredible tender love of God, by which she gave God, if you remember, a nickname. In Hebrew, it was Elroy, which in English it means God sees. God sees me. This series is about our human need to be seen. In fact, we need to be seen as much as we need to eat and drink is an important sustenance to our lives. And so today we're going to look at another person that God saw deeply, a a person that was pretty marginalized by her own community and by society as a whole. She broke all sorts of religious, political, moral, cultural taboos by which people kind of stayed away from her until one day she met the person that would change her life forever. She met God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at that interaction. My hope is, is that if you never felt seen before by another person, I hope that you would feel encouraged that God sees you deeply. And by seeing you deeply, he loves you tenderly. And those of us who've experienced that, that we would be inspired by Christ to be like Christ, to break down the categories or assumptions that we have of other people and to see them for who they are and to see deeply within their hearts to love them tenderly. This account of this interaction between Jesus and this woman is recorded by one of Jesus's followers, a guy named John. And it is uh, recorded by him in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over there. We'll have all the verses here as well. Um, But as you're kind of looking there, let me give you a little bit of context, a historical context here that helps you to help us to really appreciate Jesus here. And um, so first of all, what's happening here is Jesus is in Judea, which is kind of where Jerusalem is. And he wants to go back to home which is up north near the Sea of Galilee, part, more particular, a town called Capernaum. So he's down here. He wants to go up here. But there's a region in between called Samaria. And in that region of Samaria, there are a distinctive group called the Samaritans. And there is a lot of animosity between Jews like Jesus and for Jews like the Pharisees and, and the religious people and just the cultural in general for the Jews to have a lot of animosity towards the Samaritans. They don't like each other very much. In fact, more often than not, when Jews would go from one um, place to the other, they would kind of go around. They would kind of skip Samaria. In fact, um, a couple of years after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, around 36 AD, uh, there was a group of, there were, um, there was, I'm sorry, a little bit further than that, about 48 AD, there was a group of um, Jews who are coming through Samaria, uh, wanting to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And there were some Samaritans there that beat up some of them and killed some of these Jews. Well, the, the Jews got really mad. So they go to the Roman governor, who at the time was a guy named Cuminus. 
And so they, made, they waged a complaint, and Cuminus did nothing about it. So what did the Jews do? They went and laid the hammer on the Samaritans to get them back for the bloodshed that they did against the Jews. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Some things never change. And so here you have this whole violent situation by which the, the governor of Syria gets involved and basically removes Cuminus and sends him on to Rome to squelch it. But even then, you get a little picture from a first century historian by the name of Josephus that there's some animosity between these Jews and these Samaritans. That these Jews who are making their way through Samaria, some got beat up, some got killed. And there was retaliation. So what we have in the context here is that Jesus decides that he's going to go through Samaria. In fact, it says, John records that he must go through Samaria. He doesn't have to go through Samaria. But I believe that he's going through Samaria because... There was a woman there who needed to know that God sees her deeply. And so they go. They go through, through the land of Samaria, and they make their way to a place, to a village called Sychar. A little village, nothing really well known or anything like that. Jesus is tired. He goes by this, this well to get some rest. And the boys who are with him, they go to Sychar to get some food. Well, it was about noontime, all right? And at noontime, it says here, in verse 7, it says about, about noontime, in verse 6 it says that. But here in verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now this is important to understand. It's important to understand that this woman is coming to draw water. She's a Samaritan. She's a local. She's part of that group that there's animosity towards Jews like Jesus and for Jews to, who had animosity towards Samaritans. There was a lot of assumptions and ideas and thoughts and opinions about each other here. A lot of categories. And so, but she's coming at noon. And that's important. She comes at noon because back in those days, um, women would come and draw water. It's kind of one of the cultural things that they would do. But they would do it in the morning and they would do it in the evening. Why? Because it gets really hot in the middle of the day. And not only that, but they would come in the morning to kind of catch up with the other ladies from the area. The women would come together, and as they were taking turns getting water, they would catch up on what's going on and socialize. And then at the end of the day, they would kind of repeat that kind of same thing. But here comes a woman at noon by herself in the heat of the day. Already we're kind of seeing that there's some isolation with this woman. There's, some, there's something that, that is going on in her life that we'll see a little bit later that even her own community, the Samaritans, kind of... With, have withdrawn from. So she comes and she said, and Jesus comes to her and Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. Now Jesus is thirsty, but the main purpose that he's saying this is not to get a drink of water, as we'll see here in a little bit. What we'll see with, as Jesus, who is God, oftentimes God will enter into a conversation, a conversation to bring out something within the person that he's talking to, to bring out what's going on deep within the heart. Some, you know, God doesn't necessarily need to get any information. He doesn't need anything from anybody. But when he does this, what he wants to do is connect deeply to their heart. Just like Adam and Eve, you know, Adam and Eve, they did their thing. They're hiding out. And God comes walking through the garden. And God, God says, hey, where are you? God knows where they are. God's bringing out what's going on inside of them. Because here's the thing about Jesus, and this is something, too, that you'll see about this woman in the very, you know, in verse 9, 
it says this about her after Jesus says this. The woman was surprised. She was surprised that this Jew, who's a rabbi, would say something to her. First of all, all Jews back in the first century saw Samaritans as unclean from birth. They are unclean. You touch the things that Samaritans touch, guess what? You, as a Jew, you become unclean. So she's kind of shocked and surprised anyways. Wait a minute. Now, Jesus, if you get water from me, a Samaritan woman, then that would make you unclean. And you know that. So why in the world would you drink that? Already, one of the things that you have to understand about God, God doesn't care about cultural taboos, religious taboos, political taboos. He cares about what's really deeply going on in your heart. And this is what he does. He addresses those things. What you'll see with this woman, she'll constantly want to address theology, places of worship, drink, physical things. And what you're going to see, Jesus constantly moving more and more to where, really where her longings really truly reside in her own heart. So John goes and he kind of gives us a little side note for readers. He says, for the Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. So he's engaging in this conversation with this woman, asking her for a drink that would lead him to be as a rabbi, you know, ceremonially unclean. And he's talking to a Samaritan woman. So, Jesus, so she says to Jesus, what? You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me something to drink? She's just surprised. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 10, and he says this to the woman. If you only knew the gift God has for you. So here's again how how we think about how God works, and that should also inform how we should work as well. She asks about, you know, about why would this Jewish rabbi want me, a Samaritan woman, you know, give him water? And he, she doesn't get it. He doesn't really get into that question. He hits and goes straight to the things of the longing of her heart. And he says to her, hey, whoa, whoa, you know, let's just cut through all of that. If you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you. What is that gift? You see already that Jesus is, this woman comes up and Jesus is already seeing her on a level that nobody has ever seen her in her life. The sweet tenderness of his heart of saying, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, not who you're speaking to, but relationally, if you knew who was the one who's standing right before you. For those of us who were here last week, this is the same person that met Hagar. If you only knew the person who sees you deeply, the one who created you, if you only knew the gift that I have for you and the, which comes in an express through, ultimately what we'll see, my relationship with you, you would ask me and I would give you living water, to have this living water. And so she goes, well, what? Living water? What do you mean living water? You know, 
then she kind of goes back into this whole conversation about, you know, physical water and all of these things. And she's trying to wrap her head uh, because she does what we do. Oftentimes we approach God through the physical things of this world. We, we are more concerned with God about, you know, money in our pockets, circumstances that are going on around us, uh, rather than really dealing with God and walking with God with what's going on truly deeply within our hearts. And she does that. She does the same thing. But Jesus keeps it going, keeps it going, peering into the heart. And so he goes on in verse 13. Jesus said to her, anyone who drinks this water, this well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You drink from the well, you go, you get your little Desanti water, you drink it, you're going to get thirsty again. You're just going to keep coming back to it. But here's the deal. The water that I give you, you'll never thirst. You'll be full. You'll be satiated. And so, you know, again, she's still not quite clicking on what Jesus is doing here. And so in verse 15, please, sir, she says, give me this water. She's still thinking about physical water, kind of like the fountain of youth, if you would think about in our own culture and and history here in America then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to come here all alone in the midday heat to get some water. So where is this water? So that way I can just be, you know, I never have to have this physical water ever again. So again, she's still thinking on the physical things around her. But then it goes on in verse 16. Jesus says, go get your husband. Which seems really weird, right? Like, like this, is, this is a weird thing. And she's probably thinking in her mind, well, he's probably telling me to go get my husband to come back to get some of this, this water. But she knows something. She knows that she doesn't have a husband. In fact, she knows that she's had quite a few husbands, five husbands, and the one that she's living with isn't her husband. But she doesn't know that Jesus knows that, right? And so she says to, her, to Jesus, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sounds very intrusive, doesn't it? You know, what it would be like if you had, you know, this was kind of your part of your history, some stranger comes up and just says this to you. You would probably feel kind of offended, right? And kind of like, what, how do they know this thing? But here's the thing about Jesus. This is why you have to understand about how God works. God, you know, Jesus didn't bring this up to shame this woman. Why did he do it? He did it to bring out what's in the longings of her heart so that he can give her what she truly needs. Yeah, she's had five husbands and the person that she's with is is not her husband. What's going on with her? What's going on inside of her heart? She's looking for water in the relationships of other men. The longing of somebody, of another human being that would love her deeply. And she can't find it. It's not happening. Whether through divorce or through becoming a widow or whomever. And maybe she just forgot, you know, she just gave up and all of these things. She's looking for 
that thirst in her heart to be satiated in the relationships with other people. Now, we do the same thing. It may not be in relationships. It could be. But it could be in anything in this, things in this world. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the prophet Jeremiah, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and said, there are two evils I have against you, he says to the people um, of Israel. Number one, you have forsaken your God, the fountain of living water. And you too, you have dug up broken cisterns by, by which cannot hold water. In other words, what God was saying to the people of Israel through the prophet was, you guys left the living water and now you're looking to be satiated through the things of this world. You look through money, but you got to get more money. You get some money, it's broken cistern. It just flows out. You got to get more money. Relationships with other human beings, those things are broken. It goes out. You got to get a different relationship, more relationships, whatever. Pleasure, you got to get pleasure. You try to fill that hole. It just leaks out. So you got to get more pleasure. You got to get more titles so that people think you're great and all that, by which then that just kind of leaks out and you have to get more and more and more and more and more and more. So what was true of this woman is equally true to all of us in this room. We are just like her, trying to fill our hearts with the things of this world that just keep bringing us back and keep feeling empty and trying to stuff it with whatever. Jesus came into this world to break that cycle to give us living water that just flows. And that living water is his love for us. His love, his tender love and mercy for each one of us. So he brings this up to let her know that there, you are trying to fill your heart with the things that can never fill your heart. So I've come to give you a gift. And the gift that we will see from Jesus is himself. Didn't Jesus said, I am the bread of life? Isn't the Holy Spirit the living water who resides in us? Isn't it the spirit that's in us that reminds us that God is our father? He is the one that can only satiate our deepest needs. And so Jesus sees into this woman. Everybody else sees a woman who has been around with a lot of husbands by which even the Samaritans kind of ostracize her. The Jews wouldn't give her a time of day because she was a Samaritan. And she's a woman, which is also a disconnect from people like men and rabbis like Jesus. But guess what? Jesus does not see any of that stuff. He doesn't even get into that stuff. He sees within her the longings of her heart that is true of all of us to experience the deep and profound love of God to be seen for what's really going on in our lives. So it goes on and here in John, the woman says, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that your Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while the Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? All right, so what does she do? She goes back to theology. And she goes back to who's right. And I love this because Jesus is all about understanding what is true. But Jesus isn't about debating in order to be right. Jesus, what we'll see, is always constantly working deep within our own hearts. Because it goes on in verse 21. 
Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You know what? It doesn't matter. The location doesn't matter. And he goes on in verse 22. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. So Jesus is very clear. He always speaks the truth. But what you will see, the way that God works in our lives and the lives of other people, he's not just somebody who comes and just hammers truth, 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 truth. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. God's ultimate trajectory is always to know what is true in order to bring about what is empty in us so that he can fill our hearts and begin to live a, trust, a trusting relationship with him and to be guided by a good, wise father who loves us. And so that's why he says in verse 23, he goes on, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Guess what? It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. It's about, it's about honoring God and knowing God and, and experiencing the love of God that then creates within us a desire to worship our God. It's not about Jerusalem, Mount Gerizim, or where you worship. It's about knowing that right where we're at, we can worship our God and commune with him. It's about that relationship. It's not making a trek on a Sunday morning to 141 River Run Point to do the little things that we kind of do to kind of get our religion thing in order to hope that maybe our week will go by better, that we'll get more money in our pocket, get that raise that we want, or any of those things. It's about coming together with people who are like-minded who want to have a more deep relationship with the Lord by which we say to the Lord, fill my heart. Remind me of the gift that I have, that you see everything about me and you love me tenderly. Fill me up as you fill up my brothers and sisters as we do this together. It's about spirit and truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So he's basically, again, saying to this woman, so should we worship over Gerizim? Should we go to Jerusalem? You Jerusalem? Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. Focus, 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 focus. God loves you. It's about a relationship with him. One thing I love about Jesus, you hang around Jesus enough, then you'll see how he cuts through the noise. And the more that we learn from him, the more that we learn how to cut out so much of the noise and get to the nitty gritty of what is truly important. Now, is having right theology important? Yeah, it is. Is it knowing what is true important? Yeah, it is. But we have to understand the nitty gritty. It's to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to go into love others as, as Jesus has loved others and see people deeply the way that Jesus has seen us deeply as well. And so it goes on in <coughs> verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. By which Jesus then says in verse 26, if you only knew the person that's in front of you, well, let me reveal to you who's in front of you. I am that Messiah. I am that Messiah. 
And I'm a Messiah that is willing to sit here alone at a well outside a small little village in enemy territory to see you right for who you are, to know that you are seen and that you are loved. I'm that Messiah. Not the big grand Messiah that stands aloof and, you know, to hundreds of thousands of people, the great untouchable, but somebody who gets down and says, you are loved. But you don't understand. I've had five husbands and I, you know, and the person I'm with is not my husband and I made all these choices and I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. No, 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 no. I see that. I know all of that. But I see inside of you a longing of a heart that can only be satiated by my love for you. And it would be Jesus who will later on give up his life for her for the forgiveness of her sins, just like the rest of us. Paul once said in a letter that he wrote to the Romans, he said, don't you know that it's God's kindness that leads to change? It's his love to be seen deeply, warts and all, and to know that he still loves us, leads us and inspires us to trust him and allow him to make us and help us to change. And so it goes on in verse 27, and in here he says this, just then, all right? So the guys have been gone, right? The guys come back, and guess what? They're shocked. They're shocked that he's talking to a woman. Now think about this, y'all. These were the guys, these were the Jews. These were the guys who had the right theology, the right place of worship. And guess what? They had categories. They had a category for this woman. She was a woman. Had a category for her for being a Samaritan. All of these things, there were categories in their minds, in their religious minds, that they had not yet learned how to see people the way that God sees them. They're seeing it through their theological constructs, through their cultural constructs, through their political constructs. They had not yet seen another human being through the lens, the way that God sees uh, another person. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve. They were too chicken. What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Later on, they will figure this out. When they go through their own times where Jesus will forgive them after he rose from the dead and they cut tail, that they will begin to find out that really that Jesus didn't come to kick some Roman can to become this great political leader. But to come to the world to save the world from the intimness of their, their hearts and their souls by which the world tries to fill it with the junk and the stuff of this world. To come into this world to fill people's hearts with living water. To break down the categories and assumptions of people. To see them more deeply. To see their true longing. To know that there's a creator who created them. Who loves them deeply to the point of willing and did sacrifice his life for them so that they can be filled with his love and intimacy of a relationship with them forever. The woman at that moment, she was that Jesus saw her deeply by which she felt his love more tenderly. And guess what she did? It changed her life, just like it changed Hagar's life. And so you see here in next verse, verse 28, the woman left the water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village. She was so excited. Her heart was so full 
that she forgot that she was there to get physical water because her, her, her heart that was filled with the water, the living water of God, she just dropped it and she took off. She had to tell everybody, this is the most amazing thing in the world. My life has changed. For once in my life, I, there's somebody who sees me, who's seen the brokenness in my heart, accepted me and loved me and filled my life. He says he's the Messiah. I think he's the Messiah. See, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And guess what? They saw him. They heard him. They invited Jesus to come to their village. And Jesus spent two days with them. Now, think about this, y'all. A Jewish rabbi spending two days hanging out with a bunch of Samaritans? That's crazy. Jesus didn't see it crazy. He saw a group of people, a group of people who needed something more than, is it Mount Gerizim? Is it Jerusalem where we worship? Who's right? Who's wrong? Should be this? Should be that? A people who needed living water. And by them experiencing the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ and the love that he poured out to them, it says many of them believed. Jesus, in that same, you can go home and you can read it a little bit more, and he talks to his disciples about it. And he basically says to his disciples, you know, they, they kind of like, you know, they, they tell Jesus, hey, you know what? You should eat some bread. You're hungry. That's why we came back. We went and got it. And he says, you don't understand. You don't understand the bread that I already have. And they're like, well, who gave him bread? And then he basically tells him, no, the bread is to do what my father wants me to do because of my love for the father and father's love for other people. And through that, basically what he said to the disciples was, he uses these terms, these words, that they would wake up. That they would wake up from categories and assumptions and and how religion works and all of these things to wake up to understand how the living God works and how the living God sees people deeply right where they are and cuts through all of these things to invite them to the banquet table by which they can be filled with the bread of life and the living water of Jesus Christ. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, what Jesus is encouraging us to do is that we would see others that same way. We live in a culture where there's a lot of tribes, there's a, a lot of social sex, there's a lot of just different, all categories, assumptions, and all of that. And we're all, you know, used to that. And it's going to take work for us to be able to know and to see people for who God sees them to be, to see them beyond our categories or assumptions, to know what's truly going on in their hearts. And that's what we're called to do. The harvest is plenty, y'all, because we're living in a culture where not a lot of people notice anybody. We all have thoughts and opinions and what we think is true about people but we never really take the time to really listen to people really well and to listen to their hearts and to understand the longing and what's going on inside of them, even if we see that we may disagree with them politically or socially or whatever. 
that we would see deeply what's really going on in their hearts to speak to them about the living water that we've all received through Jesus Christ. If you're new here and you're a guest, man, money's not going to fill you up. A better job title's not going to fill you up. A different relationship is not going to fill you up. The only thing that I've found in my own life that even comes close to ever filling me up is just remembering and thinking about how deeply seen I am by God and how tenderly he loves me still. What a wonderful blessing that is. Nobody has loved me like that. And I have some wonderful people in my life. Many of you are in my life. But to experience that love is amazing. In a moment here, we're going to have a time of just a response before the Lord. We're going to have some people over here on the crosses that will love to pray for you. Maybe you feel empty. Maybe you're tired of the cracked cisterns in your life that just feels like everything's just kind of leaking and you just feel empty and you just never can kind of get to that place. They would love to pray for you and over you and have a conversation with you. For those of us as well as followers of Jesus Christ, we are always invited to come to the table where we have the bread and the juice that symbolizes the tender mercies and love of our God who became flesh, who gave up his flesh, so we can be united with him to experience his love forever that fills us and nourishes us. You know, the the bread signifies his body given to us. The blood signifies his blood that was shed for us. So that way, we can come to him and experience that living water. We also have our offering, which is also part of our worship as well. Part of trusting God is understanding that our finances isn't where our well is. Jesus Christ is. Our, our generosity is part of the continuous giving and, and, and the generosity that outflows through our hearts so that way other people can experience what we've experienced in Christ Jesus as well. Or you may just simply, it's okay. If you want to just stay there, that's fine. But my, right where you're sitting, but my, my encouragement to you is move within your heart to dialogue with whatever the Spirit of God, whatever's going on in your heart with God. And my hope and my prayer is that you would experience the living God. And so, Father, as we kind of move from this space now to, to do just, you know, we've been listening to some things, and, and really it's really about our relationship with you. And so in this moment, God, I pray that we would just use it to allow our hearts to receive from you to reflect and to know that you see me deeply, you see us deeply. And through that, you love us tenderly and you desire to fill our hearts with your love. And so, Father, I pray that our hearts would just take this time to to listen and to receive from you. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.